Good morning. Welcome to The Point, the radio ministry of Life Point Baptist Church of Early Texas, formerly Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church. We recently changed our name to Life Point Baptist Church out of respect to Grace Baptist Church, who has faithfully served the early community with the gospel for many years. Only our name has changed. Life Point Baptist Church still meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m. and morning worship at 11 a.m. at the Early Chamber of Commerce at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. That's just off of Highway 377 next to Pates Hardware. We'd love to have you come out and visit with us. For more information, you can log on to point2life.wordpress.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash point2life. Now, if you will, please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3 as we continue our journey through the Bible. Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of that land unto a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly, I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain." And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt, unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and ye shall say unto him, 
The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof, and after that he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. Exodus chapter 3 records God's call upon Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. Moses, a Hebrew, an Israelite, a former member of the Egyptian royal family. You remember the story back in Egyptians, uh, back in Exodus chapter 2. Excuse me. Back in Exodus chapter 2, you remember the story of how Moses' mother hid him for three months, and when she could no longer hide him, she placed him in a box in the reeds of the Nile River where uh, Pharaoh's daughter found him and decided she wanted to raise him as her son. And so he wound up becoming a member of the Egyptian royal family. And so what had happened, by the time we see Moses here in Exodus chapter 3, he had fled Egypt after using deadly force to defend a Hebrew man against an Egyptian attacker. What had happened was Moses, who spent the first five years of his life with his biological mother so she could nurse him before turning him over to Pharaoh's daughter, and we talked about in the last episode of The Point, how that uh, very likely gave his mother the opportunity to teach him about the Lord. And we see that this uh, maintained on through his adulthood because as an adult, Moses, being a member of the Egyptian royal family, still had a heart for his own people, for the Hebrew people, for the Israelite people. And so the Bible tells us back in Exodus chapter 2 that Moses went down to look upon the his Hebrew brothers and sisters and he spied an Egyptian assaulting a Hebrew, and seeing that there were no witnesses, he killed the Egyptian and rescued the Hebrew, and thus had to flee Egypt. And the Bible tells us that when he did this, he made a final decision to forsake the pleasures of Egypt and to follow God and to endure the fate of God's people. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 27 tell us, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather, to than, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses turned away from the tangible earthly pleasures that were right in front of him in Pharaoh's palace in order to follow the Lord and to join his people. And he knew that this decision would bring suffering, but he trusted God to bring him and his people through the suffering to deliver them and to reward them. And this is the Hebrews chapter 11 definition of faith. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so Moses had this faith. He had the faith that if he went to God, God would reward him. He believed God existed. He trusted God. He believed God would reward him. So he turned his back on a life of luxury in order to follow God's plan and his purpose for his life and to be with God's people. To leave a life of luxury for one of suffering one has to have faith. And so we find Moses here in Exodus chapter 3. And of course, he fled Egypt. It tells us back in Exodus chapter 2, he fled Egypt and he winds up in the wilderness and he meets these uh, young ladies who are trying to water their flock, but the shepherds wouldn't let them water their flock. So Moses fought off the shepherds and the young ladies were allowed to water their flock. And Moses winds up marrying one of the young ladies and winds up raising livestock for his father-in-law Jethro, as we see in the beginning of chapter 3 here. And so in Exodus chapter 3, we find Moses. He's been out here in the wilderness, out in Midian, for uh, roughly 40 years. And so it's been a long time since he has fled Egypt. And he acted on faith when he fled Egypt, but he's been out here for 40 years. And you can imagine he might have been wondering what God was doing, uh, why God hadn't moved sooner, how the plan to deliver him and his people was going to come to pass if he spent all these years in the wilderness. And then Moses sees the burning bush. And in Exodus chapter three, when Moses sees the burning bush, Moses meets God. Now, he already believed in God. He already trusted God. He was probably already saved. But now he meets God face to face. And in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses meets God face to face, he sees the awesomeness of God. He sees the God of life. He hears God's promise of deliverance. And then he hears God's call. So let's look at the awesomeness of God. In verses 2 through 3, the Bible tells us, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. In appearing in the form of a burning bush, which was not consumed, God was showing his power in creation. God, being the creator of all things, the creator of the elements, the creator of fire, the creator of matter, has control over all the elements because he created all the elements. Therefore, God controls all things. And when God controls all things, we come to the conclusion that there is nothing that is impossible with God. That was the question that Mary had. She wanted to know how she was going to have a son that would save his people from their sins if she had never known a man. And remember, the angel told her, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing's impossible with God because God is the creator of all things. Psalm 19 verse 1 tells us, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The awesomeness of God is clearly demonstrated in the creation around us. The heavens and the firmament are mentioned in Psalm 19, the heavens being the sky. You look up and you're looking at the cloud, you're looking at the blue, you're looking at the formations of the clouds, you're looking at all that, you're looking into the heavens. The firmament is when you look beyond the clouds at the stars and the sun and the moon, the expanse, if you will. If you want to see the greatness of God, look up. Here recently, we got to see the awesomeness of God with the solar eclipse that moved across the United States of America. The only place that a solar eclipse happens 
is right here on planet Earth. God moves the moon between us and the sun, blocking its light and reminding us of his power and his glory and the promise of his kingdom because the Bible tells us that in those days the sun will be darkened. And I couldn't help but think about those verses as we saw the solar eclipse move across the United States. Not that I believe that the solar eclipse was a fulfillment of that prophecy, but I was reminded of the prophecy of the sun being darkened as the sun was darkened during the solar eclipse. God keeps us reminded of his promise. And you look at the stars. I mean, one of the great things about living in central Texas where we are here is that uh, on cloudless nights without the uh, light noise of the cities and of, of humanity, when you get out into the rural areas and it's really dark out there, the darkness allows the light from the stars to shine and you can see stars forever. In fact, you go further out west, get out in a big bend country, go to the McDonald Observatory, and you see lots of stars out there, and they will uh, give you a starlight party. They will show you all the great formations that are in our solar system and that are in the that are out in outer space. The stars are magnificent. The stars are infinite. God spoke them all to an existence, and he did this so that we would be able to navigate our ships and we'd be able to set our planting seasons. And so you look at the stars, you look at how magnificent they are, even out here with the, uh, with the naked eye. If you go out into the pastures, out into rural Brown County, and you look up at, during the night and there's no cloud cover, you can see all the stars. That is a magnificent sight. You can see the awesomeness of God just by looking at the universe that's above us. And then you think about the clouds and the cloud formations, especially when you have some great cumulus clouds that are floating overhead, and that can bring to mind the awesomeness of God as well. There's a verse in the Psalms that said, when I consider the heavens and the work of thy hands, uh, what is man that thou art mindful of? And you look at God's great creation, and it reminds you really just how small that we are. The creation of God shows us God's awesomeness. And when Moses saw that burning bush, and he's meeting God here just as we meet God through following these scriptures, we see the awesomeness of God. And so God is awesome, and it, and it shows through his creation. And that awesomeness is worthy of our admiration and our reverence. And that's what we'll look at here in verse 5. And he said, this is God speaking, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. The removal of shoes is a sign of reverence and respect, and this is pretty well universal in uh, all cultures. You know, you go to, uh, you go over to Asia, you know, it's customary in Asia to take your shoes off before you enter someone's home. It's respectful, it's reverent. Same thing in the Middle East. In fact, uh, even here in America, there are a number of people that would prefer you remove your shoes before you enter into their home. My, my father-in-law is like that. It has a lot to do with maintaining the carpet, but he still enjoys you removing your shoes before you walk on into the home. But in that culture back then, removing shoes was a sign of reverence and respect. So in telling Moses to remove his shoes, he was proclaiming his divinity and commanding respect. God not only deserves our respect, but he is due our respect. So giving God our respect is not only the right thing to do, it's required. We owe it to him. Psalm 24 verses 1 through 3 say, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? 
Psalm 24 tells us that God created the heavens and the earth and that he owns it. The Bible also tells us that God gave us life. The Bible also teaches us that God redeemed us from death. So if God created everything, gave us life, and redeemed us from death, why would you not revere him? Phil Robertson told a story of being on a phone with a retailer. He was getting ready to sell this retailer a number of duck calls, which would have been a pretty big sell for Phil Robertson uh, back in the early days of Duck Commander, way before the Duck Dynasty TV show came out. And he said that this man he was talking to on the phone kept taking the Lord's name in vain. And so Phil Robertson asked this man, he said, why do you curse the one who gave you life? And the man apologized and they hung up. A few weeks later, that man showed up on Phil Robertson's uh, front door, and Phil led him to the Lord, and he became a Christian. But the question that Phil Robertson asked him is the same that we should ask ourselves when we are not reverencing the Lord, or the same that we should ask those who would take the Lord's name in vain. Why do you curse the one who gave you life? Reverencing God is not only the right thing to do, it's required. And when we disrespect God, we sin. So God is awesome. The second thing we notice, and we start to pick up on this toward the end of that last point, is that God is the God of life. Now, we will uh, go into this in verse 6 here in a minute, but I want to skip ahead to verse 14 and point something out to you. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Now, when Moses asked God his name, it's interesting that God would say, I am that I am. I am. That's a present tense, all right? I am. Present tense means I exist. I be. God exists. He always has been, and he always will be. God has no beginning, and he has no end. What God has is life. And not only does he have life, but he is life. And so the only way to describe God is I am. He is. He's life. He has life. He exists. Always has. Always will. And so we take that observation and we roll that back to Exodus chapter 3 verse 6 here. It says, moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And so God says that he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, bear in mind that by the time he's talking to Moses, these guys had passed away hundreds of years earlier. And so it would be fitting if God would have said, I was the God of Abraham, I was the God of Isaac, and I was the God of Jacob. Only the problem is that God still exists. He is. He says, I am. And check this out. The reason he's saying that he is the God of Abraham of Isaac and Jacob is because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still exist as well. They, at this time in Exodus chapter 3, were still living, only not on earth, they were living in heaven with God. Mark chapter 12, verses 26 through 27, Jesus speaks to this concept. He says, have ye not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead but of the living. In these statements, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive with the Lord in heaven, for he has given them eternal life. So God is life. 
and he gives eternal life to all of those who believe. Remember, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. The Bible repeats that concept in Romans chapter 4, verse 3. And Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham believed God and he was declared righteous and welcomed into God's kingdom. Same is true for Isaac. Same is true for Jacob. And same is true for anybody today who turns from their sins and trusts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. God looks at that belief and counts it to him for righteousness. And God gives that person eternal life. Remember, the Bible tells us in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God gives you everlasting life, and he can do that because he is life and he's the source of life. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God gave man life, so breathing, respirating, eating, drinking, living, gave man intelligence, the ability to think and to reason and to problem solve gave man consciousness, the understanding that we are living beings and, there, and that there is more to life than our next meal, and creativity, our ability to create and build and make things like God made things. God gave us as man became a living soul. How did we become a living soul? Because God gave us that life. How do we become something more than the animals that are all around us? Because God gave us that life. God is life. He's the creator of life and he is the source of life. And so as we meet God in Exodus chapter three here at following Moses to this burning bush, we see that first of all, God is awesome. A burning bush that is not consumed is awesome. We see that God is life. He says, I am that I am. I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. They're still alive with me in heaven, and I am the source of that life, and I am alive. And so we see that God is life and the source of life. The third thing that we see is that God is the, the deliverer, and God promises deliverance. In verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. God saw the affliction and knew the sorrow of the Israelites. He was never detached from them. He never forgot about them. He never went on to do something different or put them on the back burner for a while. He was always keenly aware of their situation. And the Bible says he knew their sorrows. Didn't say he knew about their sorrows. Didn't say he was aware of their sorrows. The Bible said he knew their sorrows, which means he felt their sorrows. You see, God knows our suffering. He sees your affliction. He knows what you are going through. And he, it's not just that he's aware of what you're going through, but he knows what you're going through. He's been there. He's felt it. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16 tells us about Jesus. It tells us that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, came to earth, took on the form of a man, 
So he had to deal with the physical limitations of the body like we do. He lived the human existence. He had to earn a living, get an education. He had to he had to wake up and go to bed and do all the same things that we do on a daily basis. He lived the human existence. He suffered the same things that we do. He had close relatives pass away. He it, he had friends that passed away. He um he at times didn't have enough money, didn't have a place to stay, didn't have a place to live. And he was rejected and betrayed, and people talked about him behind his back. Okay, so he suffered the same things we do. And then he gave his life on the cross. And in giving his life on the cross, he suffered more than any man who has ever lived. And so the Lord can identify with our suffering. He can identify with our needs. He can identify with our want because he has experienced that as well. But then he experienced all that before going to the cross, and it was on the cross where he purchased our salvation so that those who turn from their sins and trust the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved. Now, back in Exodus chapter 3 here, God hears the cry of his people. He hears their prayers. And in doing, in doing that, he demonstrates that he hears our prayers as well. The first prayer that he hears from you is that prayer for salvation, that prayer where you are apologizing to the Lord for your sin. And you are asking him to save you based on the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. He hears that prayer first. And then as a Christian, when you pray for deliverance, when you pray for God to work things out, when you pray for God to heal, when you pray for God to provide, when you pray for God to comfort, God hears those prayers and he answers them and he responds to them. And in verse 8, the Bible tells us, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. We're back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 8 now. And to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. God saw their affliction and knew their suffering and heard their cries. So he responded to their prayers by coming down to deliver them out of Egypt. And from this, we learn that God hears our prayers and responds to them. He hears our prayers by saving us from sin. He hears our prayers by delivering us from our situations. And one day, if you know him as savior, he will deliver you from this world and will receive you into his kingdom. And so in seeing God's deliverance, we learn that we can trust God and look forward to the day that he will receive us into his kingdom. And then finally, as we meet God here in Exodus chapter 3, along with Moses, uh, who meets God in the burning bush, we hear God's call. In verses 9 and 10 here in Exodus chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, the Lord says, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God heard the cries of Israel and saw their oppression, so God called Moses to lead them out. You know what this teaches us? This teaches us that God uses people to accomplish his mission. God called Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. In the same way, he calls us to spread his gospel and to minister to his people. And not only does he call us to do that, but he promised to be with us when we do that. In verse 12, and he said, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. 
God guaranteed Moses success, and he said that he would be with him. God tells us that he will be with us as well. In fact, the Bible tells us that explicitly, specifically, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, the Great Commission, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. The Lord has promised to be with us as we follow his call upon our lives. And so just as the Lord was with Moses, the Lord is with us as well. The Lord guaranteed Moses success. Now, he doesn't necessarily guarantee us the success that we think that we should have, but when you are faithful to the Lord, you are always successful, whether the numbers uh, show it or not, whether the man-defined definition of success happens or not. The results are not up to us. The results are up to God. All God wants from us is faithfulness. In Exodus chapter 3, I've, I've kind of used the phrase, meet God. Uh, Moses, I believe, was well aware of God long before the burning bush situation happened. But um, he really got a dose of who God is when he met God at that burning bush. And I think that's something that we could all use. We could all use a burning bush um, experience uh, to a certain degree, to a reminder of who God is, a reminder of the awesomeness of God and how he deserves our respect and our reverence, a reminder that God hears our prayers and that he delivers us and that he gives us life, a reminder that God uses us in order to accomplish his work on this world. We should be busy doing the work of God and not just expecting it to happen without us. Exodus chapter 3 starts something big. It starts the Exodus. It starts Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. I hope it starts something big in your life as well. We'd love to have you come visit with us at Life Point Baptist Church today in early Texas. We meet for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive in early Texas, 76802. You can uh, put that on the GPS system. We're located just off of Highway 377 next to Pates Hardware. Hope to see you sometime, and until then, may God bless you, and may God keep you will always be our prayer.